I'm excited to speak with you and to you this morning. I don't know why, except this is what God called me to do, and there's nowhere, no one else that I'd rather be, I'd rather be, no other place or no other group that I'd rather speak with than those of you who are here today. And the Lord has laid on my heart, as we go through the book of James, this thought of, we come to in chapter 4, towards the end of the chapter 4, at the, at the end of chapter 4, about how vast are his plans and how limited is our knowledge, and how careful, therefore, we should be in our expression and our planning so that we're not arrogant. In fact, he says, if you boast about what you're going to do in the future, it's really evil. Now, that seems to me like that's kind of carrying it to an extreme. If I'm bragging about something I'm going to do in the future, the Lord says that's evil. But that is the term that he uses. And he says all that kind of boasting is evil. So it's humbling. It's a very humbling uh, passage for us to read. Before I read from James 4, I want to read a verse in Proverbs chapter 21 that I just read last night. And I wanted to read it to you because I think it ties in with what James says when he says, look, everything you do, you better temper with the phrase, God willing, I'm going to do this. Everything that you do or say or plan or prepare, you better make sure that in the back of your mind, there's one other option. And that is the option that I may not get to do it at all, or maybe that I won't even be here at all. And so... A humble person, a godly person, a person who loves and walks with the Lord always needs and wants to keep that mind. That's what he's saying. Otherwise, they might risk this, this reality, and this is what I want to read in Proverbs 21, verse 30. <clears throat> there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. I was actually thinking about this last night when I read it, and I thought, what, what do I relate that to? And it came to me as, as I relate it with is my garden. I enjoy gardening, as many of you know, and try to raise, and Cindy and I put up a lot of food for ourselves, and we enjoy it, both of us. <clears throat> but there's all kinds of plans and insights, and, and uh, there's all sorts of wisdom raised up against us, and so these little bugs come, and these weeds come, and this wind blows, and this spray drifts across, and, and these, the, sometimes the clouds don't rain, and all these different things that, um, all these different things that would destroy my garden. But I'm determined that there is no bug, and there is no weed, and there is no spray that will succeed against my garden, or against me. And so whether it's my tomatoes or potatoes or whatever it is, I'm out there with strategy to overcome everything. So if the weeds come, I pull them out. If it don't rain, I put my own water in the ground and so forth. I'm just saying uh, these smaller items that one by one could take me down, they're not going to. They're not going to destroy because there's nothing's going to keep my garden from me. Now, I say that facetiously, of course. Be, uh, that's, my, that's my ideal, but some things I have a hard time. In fact, this, this hard wind we've had last two days, I had some beautiful cucumbers that were climbing up a 
offense, and just some of them just snapped the vine, just literally broke the vine because of the wind. And they even had little winders hanging on, and it still snapped them. And, and so I say, okay, I guess there is some plan that can succeed. Uh, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Whenever something tries to stop my garden, I, have a str- I come up with a strategy because the, garden, the pest is not going to tell me what to do or what I can have. And that's a, a little bit of the attitude that James warns about, chapter 4. So if you have your Bible on a turn there, in James chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, he, he warns against this attitude that would say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, or even if God is in heaven and what he thinks, this is what I'm going to do today or tomorrow or whatever, and James says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to work, because there is no plan, as the proverb says, that can succeed against the Lord, and if the Lord has some different plan, then your plan is going to get nixed, so, uh, let me read for you, with you, verse 13. Now listen, by the way, that's a, that's a pretty strong phrase. It's, it's, I mean, that's a good translation of it, actually. It's, um, look, look here, now look here. And it's kind of a negative-oriented thing. It's like, I got to tell you something. You, you, you need to listen. Look here. Uh, today, look at, listen, you who would say, you who would say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, and we'll make money. Um, personally, that sounds like a pretty good plan to me. I mean, uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's quite a vigorous plan. You know, there's, there's some flexibility built into it, today or tomorrow. Uh, you know, the, the person here is saying, uh, it's not, my plan isn't rigid, but but with some flexibility, this is where I'm going to go. This is my goal. I want to make money. This is how I can do it. I have a certain business in mind. Uh, here's a place that I know I can do that business. I can carry this off. Um, here's how much time I think it would take. I'll spend a year there. And, I mean, I, I think he's making it sound like it's a pretty, it's, this is not just a fly-by-night. Somebody has sat down and planned and says, and says, here, and says here's my plan. This is... This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. So as far as the plan goes, it sounds good. And then James says, but hold it. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? And that in itself we could talk about for a long time. You know, what an existential question. What a central question. What is your life? And he's, he's not just saying, how did you get here? But how are you going to leave? When are you going to leave? What, it, what is this whole package of this whole experience? What is your life? Well, his version, James's word to us is that you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We've all seen a fog that comes in and we look out and we don't see anything because the fog is dominant, and then it just lifts and moves off. And after you know, maybe only thirty minutes, we look out, and the, the fog's gone. It was there, and it's not there anymore. And he says that's kind of how we are as human beings. There's a very brief period of time. Our lives are so important to our neighbors and our friends and our family, and then 
we're no longer here. And just like that mist, we've moved along, life goes on, and yet our influence and our word is not here, and our face is not here. You are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, and this is the slight difference between the, the, this verse and the verse preceding it, just a slight difference, and yet it's all the difference in the world. What you ought to say is, and using the Latin term, Deo valente, if God is willing, we'll go here, or we'll do this, or we'll do that. Um, you know, the Muslims use this phrase a lot, and I don't agree with, with very much at all in the Muslim religion, but their phrase, inshallah, uh, they use a lot, they use it often, means God willing, if God wills, and they are very, seem to be very conscious of that in their speech. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Um, let's just make a couple observations here. First of all, I, I met a number of years ago, I, I did a sermon, and I'm reminded of it occasionally by someone who says, you know, the man, plans are man's, but the odds are God's. And these verses in Proverbs um, are where I used for, uh, got that text from and that thought. And, uh, and this is kind of really the essence of what James is saying as well. We have plans as human beings, but the odds of whether they're going to happen or not do not belong to us. We are not the one who sets the house rules. That is determined by God. So here's uh, two verses in Proverbs that says, we, you know, we plan our course, but God is the one ultimately who determines what steps we get to take. And, and the reason is because all we can do is plan, but God has a purpose. He owns the world. He created the world. And so his purpose with it is going to be uh, let loose. It's going to come true. And so this is, this is what we have to keep in mind. And what James is saying in chapter 4 is if you forget that and you just say, ah, forget God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to accomplish. He says, that's evil. You're boasting over something that, that really belongs to the Lord. Rather, soften it way back and just say, you know, I'm excited because I'm going to do this and I'm going to go there if God is willing. That humble little phrase is worth a million bucks. It's a mile wide because it creates a very different frame of reference. It gives us a perspective of humility just to remember that. And it could be, you may say, well, I'm not, I, I, of course I know that, I'm just not saying it. So be it. James is simply reminding us that we need to make sure that we do know it. Now, unless you get from this the idea that we're not supposed to plan and we're not supposed to, uh, we, we shouldn't think about tomorrow and we shouldn't plan to go to this city and conduct this business and so forth, I want to stop and say, hold it, just a reminder, on the positive side, the plans are man's. And we have many, many examples and many scriptures that point out to us that planning in itself is not wrong. In fact, planning in itself and ordering our lives and trying to prepare and create a, a, a future and lay out things and, and follow steps, that this is all very good. In fact, there are times where it is essential or we, we wouldn't get anything done otherwise and we wouldn't accomplish anything. And, and there's places that talk about the need for hope. 
How do you hope for something if you don't have a plan? If you don't have a sense that there's a, something good in the future that you can prepare for? If, if the whole time you're working, you, you, you can't really uh, have a hope of maybe someday retiring, for example, because you don't have any financial plan. Or it, it'll, it, it, it makes life more difficult. The anticipation of a plan having fulfilled is filled with joy. Um, somebody just told me coming in here today in service that they're going to get together. They're going to the uh, Outer Banks, I think they said, and they're taking their family down there this week, and they're going to rent a condo, and they're going to just have a joyful family time. What a joyful anticipation. Uh, but there was a plan put in place. And they said, well, we do this every year. This is something that we prepare for, we plan, we plan. That's great. There's no way that God has anything but positive support for that kind of an idea. To anticipate doing what we have been preparing and planning to do is a wonderful thing. It's a hopeful thing. So James is in no way being negative towards the idea of planning. In fact, this is just another layer to think about. The Bible tells us very plainly in a number of places that God himself is a planner. And that God has uh, an idea of a purpose and then he works details towards that. He plans towards that. And he's a God of order, it says. He's not a God of confusion. Some of us, some of our, some, I, I'll use myself, you know, there, there are times where my wife says, I don't know what you're trying to do. And I say, I don't either. I don't even have a plan. I'm just having fun. Okay. God didn't create the world and say, and say I don't have any idea what I'm trying to do. Why don't I uh, make some angels? Maybe I'll uh, make some people. No. The Lord had something very, very, very much real in, in his mind. And it says in New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion. He, he has a plan. And so our desire and our propensity to plan comes from the image of God within us. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, thing. Remember when Moses came up on the mountain and the Lord gave him the plan for the tabernacle and he said, I want you to make everything exactly according to the plan that I showed you. And, uh, and there's many other places that the Lord speaks of his plan he even said to the Old Testament king Sennacherib, who was king of the Assyrians, he came over and he wiped the, the, the northern uh, tribe of Israel out. I mean, he took them captive and carried them back to Assyria, which is, would be modern-day Syria and, and Iran. And the Lord said to Sennacherib, don't get too, too haughty here. I planned all this, and I use you. And now you're um, so arrogant, I think I'm going to take you down and I'm going to raise up some other power. And history is the story of God often raising up one power to take it down another power because they got so arrogant because he used them in his plan to do the same thing. Um, God has plans. This is probably the most famous verse in the Bible about God's plans. And if you look, the word plans, I noticed, is in here three times in this, in this verse. I have plans for you. This letter was written, by the way, to people who were very full of questions about what to do for the future. They were taken captive. They were living over there in Iraq rather than in Palestine. And uh, they didn't know whether to 
rise up in rebellion and try to sabotage everything they could in the culture of the Babylonians or whether to just sit and sulk and give up or, 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 or what. And Isaiah or Jeremiah wrote him a letter. And he said, I'll tell you what God has to say to you. The Lord says, build a house, plant a garden, marry a girl, marry a guy, get involved there and seek to prosper the place and build the place where you are living. It doesn't matter if you're a captive. If you help them, you will secure a brighter future for yourself because God has plans for you. And those plans are to prosper you and to, to give you a future that's filled with hope, not to simply bury you there and forget you. He's going to bring you back someday. He's got a wide, and impo- wide open and important future for you. So uh, I, I, might, I, I just don't want to get it lost in the idea that we need to be careful in our plans and, and be afraid to plan and dream. In fact, I, I want to say this, and then we'll move on to the other side of it. I've often read the place where King David comes before the Lord. And he said, Lord, I wanted to build a temple for your name. You said I couldn't do it because I was a man of bloodshed and I had blood on my hands and I sure do. I have a lot of it and some of it is very nasty. And some of it wasn't right. But I still dream of building a temple for your glory and your honor. And who am I that you would even consider, not me, I understand that, but my family. God, because God had come to him and said, David, you're not the person, but you're going to have a son. And he's going to be a man of peace, like you were a man of war. And I will let have, he will build a house for my name. But I commend you, David, for having the desire in your heart. I don't love you any less because you're a man of war. I love you more because you're a man of war who wanted to be a man of worship. And I respect that. The Lord commended David for planning and dreaming ahead. And he said, I'm not going to let you do it. I'm going to step in and change your plans right here. I'm shutting you down. Although David did actually collect material. And he brought timber down from Lebanon and... He did a lot of things ahead of time, got stoned, and so so when Solomon's turn came, Solomon had a head start because his dad had already provided a lot of building materials. That's wonderful. That's planning. And, 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 and God never condemned David for wanting to build a temple. Rather, he commended him and said, good for you, David. I'm going to change your plans. You're not going to get to do it as you had hoped. But I respect you greatly that you wanted to. And that you had hoped to. I'm simply saying plans are really the expression of dreams. And God wants us to dream. And he wants us to envision what we could do with our family or for our family or in our community or for our world. And so um, plans, I'm simply saying, are extremely positive. However, what James is saying when he asks this question, what is your life? What he's saying is we just need to make sure we're not planning in arrogance, that we're not planning our future without consulting God. We're not excluding God from our thoughts. 
and our, our dreams and our plans for the future. Because he says, well, how do you know you're going to get to do these things? How do you even know what's going to happen tomorrow? You don't. You can have plans, all kinds of plans. But here's the reality. I'll just use three words to describe what James says here. First of all, about the future. First of all, it is that, you know, we are so ignorant of knowing the future because it cannot be known by any human beings. It doesn't matter to me how many crystal balls you have or what kind of prognosticator you are. Um, let me read a statement that Augustine, who is a bishop in North Africa, uh, oh my goodness, how many years ago was it? It was an early church father. This is something that Augustine said. God will not suffer man to have a knowledge of things to come. For if he had foreknowledge of his prosperity, he would be careless. If in understanding his adversity beforehand, he would be senseless. Thus God gives us ability to recall the past, but not to know the future. Here's something that uh, a Baptist preacher out in Texas said, W.A. Criswell. There must have been a kindness and a goodness of God in thus veiling this future from our eyes. If a man knew what tomorrow would bring, he would live in constant fear and foreboding. Dying, he would die a thousand deaths before dying just once. Fainting, he would faint a thousand times under a stroke that was yet to be delivered. God hides the future from our eyes that we might live today in confidence and in hope. You know, the future is complicated. Um, the complexity of life with all these interwoven realities that we have to deal with. It only takes one little thing to go wrong to set the whole house of cards tumbling. If our plan is, is, is we think, is airtight, it only takes one piece of it to, to go. Um, and, and then it doesn't happen. How he, James says, how do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Here's a statement from uh, a writer named Richard Swinson. Fifty years ago, futurists peering into their crystal balls predicted that one of the biggest problems, get this, for coming generations would be what to do with their abundant spare time. I remember hearing this prediction often. In 1967, testimony before a Senate subcommittee claimed that by 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year and would most certainly be retired by age 40. So how'd that one work out? <laughs> you know, the complexity of life is greater than the complexity of all your past experiences of our algorithms and our computers and even our minds. And so James says, well, to start with... Uh, you need to keep something in mind. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. The second thing is that we are so vulnerable. And even though something might happen tomorrow exactly like we thought it was going to happen, we may not be able to participate like we thought. Or, you know, I think about these guys who said, well, today or tomorrow we're going to travel to this city and we're going to conduct business. What if, uh, you know, what if they thought chicken was going to be $1.80 a pound or, to, to quote a, a recent authority. <laughs> and they go to buy their chicken and it's two, $2.30 a pound. I mean, we are vulnerable as human beings to all sorts of things, whether it's our health or whether it's the weather 
or whatever. You know, I, I, was, I, I had this thought. I was watching a baseball game not too long ago, and the pitcher winds up, and I mean, he throws about a, almost a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and whack, right into the shoulder of the batter. And I thought to myself, you know, this is an illustration of the complexity and the unexpected issues of life. The batter goes up there to hit the ball, and he's confident what he can do. He can put it over the fence. He's going up to hit the ball. Never does he dream the ball's going to hit him. I mean, exactly the opposite happened of what he thought he was going to do. Of course, they know that's a possibility. Now they're wearing elbow shields and sides on their helmet. I don't know how they even see. I don't know how they move. It's amazing, but good for them. I mean, it can help them out. But you, you see what I'm saying. Uh, Sometimes the batter hits the ball, sometimes the batter gets hit by the ball, and that's because we are very vulnerable. And then the main point that James makes here is not only to remind us that we don't know in our ignorance what will happen, but that the realization that what might happen might be that we ourselves die. And so there's no guarantee uh, that this future that you're planning will even include yourself. This is the reality, the cold and the hard reality. Uh, and, and so James isn't saying it's wrong to plan. What he is saying is this, that as we plan, when we try to create an experience or project a, a future for ourselves or for our family or for our company or for our what, whoever, that we just have to make sure what he's saying is that the perspective is as much upward as it is forward. If it's only forward, he's saying you're foolish. In fact, you're actually operating in pride, which in itself really is evil. But because you're mortal, make sure that your perspective is upward as much as it is forward. And the, the upward part is where, when James says, look, just stop and say, if it's the Lord's will. I'll do this or that. That's a per upward perspective. If it's the Lord's will, I'll do this or that. That's the forward perspective. And he says, don't ignore the upward just to go forward because you may not make it and you need to keep always humbly keep that in mind. Um, we see this from Paul in the New Testament when Paul would write back to these churches over and over to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, um, in different places, he would say, I want to come back and visit you if the Lord permits. I'm, I plan to return again if it's the Lord's will. He's just, you know, he, he gives an example of this kind of an attitude of this kind of talk. So uh, here's the opposite of this. I, I came across this verse in the Old Testament, and I was just amazed. Uh, this is in the book of Isaiah, but he's describing the culture around him. And I want you to just notice the arrogance, and this is what James is referring to. Can, can you just kind of feel the arrogance and, and the ignorance of someone who's saying, eh, tomorrow's going to be just like today. Huh. I wonder who their president was. I wonder what, you know, I wonder what politics they had, because... We all know that these things can change in a heartbeat. These things can change in an election. These things can change in an invasion. These things can change in a, a, a decision of a corporation. 
These things can change in an accident. These things can change in a 9-11. And tomorrow is not like today. Tomorrow is not even better than today. I'm just saying, what, a, what an expression of a presumption, of a presumptive attitude. Oh, let's go have, get something to drink. Tomorrow will be like today or even much better. And Isaiah is saying, whoops, that wasn't too bright. Okay, I cannot predict the future, therefore I must face its uncertainty honestly. I just want to say uh, one, one specific thing to those of you who are in the stage of life where you know that death could take you at any time. I mean, as far as the life expectancy, uh, you're, you've reached it or you're near it. I just want to say this as a reminder uh, talk to your families about your care, about your wishes for death, funeral services, or those kind of things, that the, the things that might surround the end of your life. Talk to them because it will be helpful to them. Um, I, I, I run into situations fairly regularly where the, someone will pass away and their family really has no idea or clue of what they might have wanted or how they might have wanted to have things handled, and, and they would like to, because they would like to honor that person, but that person never, kind of would never admit that they were at that stage, or they would really never want to talk about I'm just saying, that's one of the kind of things you can do to face the uncertainty honestly is um, to make a plan, but to be uh, humble about it as much as what you can. I cannot control the future, and so... Um, I have to trust God rather than just make assumptions. And this is what Jesus kind of condemned or what, what the Lord condemned in the story where the rich man just built barns and more barns and he got bigger crops and he more, built more barns. And, and he never considered the fact that he might die. In fact, he might die that very week or that very night. And... and you know, Jesus said he was rich in human uh, possessions, but he was not rich towards God. He was not in tune with, with the Lord. He didn't trust God. He just made an assumption that his life was endlessly going to go on. And, and for that, he was, he was condemned. And then I have to say this, and I'm finished. This, to me, is maybe the most important thing that I can say today. And I hope it, you'll just give me a moment to listen. Some things should not be postponed because we don't know whether we have the opportunity in the future and they're so important that you don't want to live your life and not make sure that you accomplish. And so, so I, I, I think of things, for example, like this verse in Proverbs that says, don't just procrastinate doing good. If there's somebody you can help and they need help now, don't say, you know, someday when I get everything arranged in order, I'm going to help these people. You'd be surprised how generous I'm going to be with my help with these people when I get ready. And he says, look, you got it today and the need is there today. Help them today. You don't know whether you're going to be here tomorrow. You don't know whether they're going to be here tomorrow. And then, this most important of all. The Lord 
says there's one thing that you need to do and you need to do it now. Because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. And that is to get right with me. That is to ask for my forgiveness. That is to come to me for my salvation through Jesus Christ as, my, as your Savior. And he says, the day in that day, which he calls the day of salvation, I will help you. I will save you. I will give you an assurance of eternal life. But don't, don't think that you don't presume that you may do that at any time. Because today is the day. I won't guarantee you tomorrow. This is the message that James is getting across to us. That there are some things that are so important that we, gotta, we need to do them now. And I just want to uh, extend that invitation as we close this service today. If this day you look at your future and you say, well, I don't know that I've actually asked Christ to be my Savior. And I really... I really don't know for sure. Then I'm saying to you, you need to do it this morning. Because you may not be here this afternoon. I may not be here, even if any of us will. And I invite you and I encourage you to do that today. Um, in fact, if you would like to do that and you'd like to come up here somewhere and sit and pray, I'd be glad to pray with you. Um, and just to help to guide and lead you in, in that prayer. Heavenly Father... As we sing this song to, to, to close, as we, as we take these words and put these thoughts in music, as, as we realize the, the absolute necessity of being humble and, and knowing that there is only today, and so we, we, we come in humbleness to say, uh, we, we have great plans and we have wonderful ideas and we have hope, we have Wonderful anticipation. If you're willing, we will do these things. The one, the one thing that we can know you are willing is to give us life everlasting. If we today make that decision to turn away from our own sinfulness and selfishness, selfishness and to turn to you. So may we, may we hear that loudly and clearly, we pray. We thank you for this moment to share together and to be reminded of the humility as believers that we live in before you, in Jesus' name.